Okay, quiet on the set, everybody. Stand by. Roll camera. Speed. Roll sound. Speed. Market. And cue talent. Hello and welcome to This Week in Production. I am your host, Art Aldridge, and no one is joining me today. That's right, I'm flying solo. In my studio, though, I am sitting in front of my brand new 2019 Mac Pro. It was ordered on the 17th of December. It shipped the first week of January, and I have it here in my uh, edit suite. What I don't have are my XDR displays. So currently on my uh, edit desk, I have my iMac Pro 5K. I've now changed that from a dual screen 5K setup to a single screen. And I'm using my LG 5K display, Thunderbolt 3 display, as the primary monitor for the Mac Pro. And this is not ideal, because if you can see my desk, I've got two keyboards, two mice, and you know, both mice are black. And sometimes I'm getting them mixed up and it's not ideal, but I really just wanted to set up the Mac Pro and just see what it was gonna do, see how it was gonna be. You know, it's funny, I wasn't expecting it to transform and change the world and I, I can't really say that it will transform or change anything. But I have done some testing, basic testing. Just to refresh your memory, I ordered a 16-core machine with 48 gigabytes of RAM, the uh, single Vega 2 32-gigabyte card, and I ordered an afterburner card with a one terabyte SSD. That config was just about $12,500. I also ordered two XDR displays with the Pro Stands. Those, as I said, have not shipped. ETA is probably not for another four weeks. I'm a little disappointed that the, the monitors haven't arrived at the same time the computer did, but, you know, Apple probably under-anticipated the demand for the monitors or, you know, they're having some manufacturing issue, but I haven't heard either uh, being discussed. But I did set up the system, and being that it's on my desk with my iMac, naturally I have the ability to do some comparisons between the machines. So my iMac Pro, which I bought in 2017 when it first came out, I think I purchased it right around the end of 2016, but I think it shipped in 2017. But the iMac Pro is a 10-core, 64-gigabyte machine, 3 gigahertz is the speed of the processors, and it's got the Radeon Pro Vega 64 GPU. I'm still using this machine as my main editor. The idea is that the Mac Pro is going to take over as soon as the displays get here. So in comparing the machines, 16 cores on the Mac Pro, 10 cores on the iMac Pro, Vega Pro 64 in the iMac Pro, and Vega 2 32 gig GPU in the Mac Pro. 
I don't know if the processors are identical, but the iMac Pro has a 10 core, three gigahertz Xeon W processor, and the Mac Pro has a 16 core Xeon W processor, but it's 3.2 gigahertz clock. So slight advantage on the Mac Pro on the clock, plus more cores, six more cores than the iMac Pro, but iMac Pro has more VRAM. I, so I did a couple of comparison tests. Now, I'm not trying to be scientific in this. I'm trying to gauge it against real-world use. So I took a bunch of um, ProRes movies, edits that I had finished that were rendered out as a completed file, and I sent that to Compressor using the 1080p streaming target, you know, H.264, streaming preset. I ran both identical files through the uh, Mac Pro and the iMac Pro. And I was a little surprised to see that there really wasn't much difference in rendering on these two machines, at least not that method. Now, in comparison, I also took some ProRes files on both machines, rendered them to another ProRes, like a converted ProRes HQ to ProRes LT and ProRes LT to ProRes 444, just for comparison. That test, there was a small, though it may be statistically insignificant, there was a small gain on the Mac Pro. I'm guessing that has something to do with the afterburner card that I have purchased in the Mac Pro. So not the huge win that I was hoping for in speed. I was really hoping for some lights out rendering and compressor and things like that. So I was a little disappointed. But then as I started to do some further setup on the Mac Pro, installing all my software, all my plugins, I did open up a Final Cut library. And I did notice that the library opened... I don't have a statistic on it, but it did open faster. But what really got my attention was I had a, um, a multicam clip. I think it was four cameras and four audio tracks. And normally when I did that on the iMac Pro, the, the waveforms on the multicams would take, you know, some time to redraw. Wouldn't be anywhere near instantaneous and sometimes you want to see which track is which and you're trying to use the waveform in the inspector to do so on the mac pro the waveforms were almost instantaneous so that bodes very well for me in terms of performance for editing which obviously i spend most of my time sitting in front of the computer editing less time sitting in front of it watching it render but there still needs to be some more testing. You know, at this rate, I can't say that it's a no-brainer to have purchased the Mac Pro. So hopefully once I get the displays, I get some more time to do some editing, I can have more feedback for you on system performance and how it's handling. My suspicion is that the system overall is going to run faster. Things like filters, things like... Um, the editing process. The the rendering, you know, may not be a big win. I don't know if these are, I think these are the server class chips. 
I'm not sure if they have the math coprocessor to do the H.264. I think that was an issue with the original uh, 2013 cylinder Mac Pro. I've been debating whether I should add some internal storage to my Mac Pro. And my thought is mainly adding something just for the one project that I might be editing at that moment, something with high throughput to just speed up the waveforms and the thumbnails. In my edit suite, I've got several RAID systems that I use for different things. I've got a Pegasus 3 96 terabyte RAID 5, which is spinning disks. I've also got a Pegasus 2 spinning disk, about 64 terabytes RAID 5. I use a small tree shared storage uh, enclosure, which is a 10 gigabit ethernet, and it's a 96 terabyte 16 bay RAID 5. And I'm using that with 10 gigabit ethernet directly to the Mac Pro. Also use it for my iMac Pro with 10 gigabit ethernet. And that's my main edit storage location. I use the direct attached mainly for copies and archives and uh, finished pieces. But I was debating whether to add an internal storage unit to the Mac Pro. I know that Promise announced two models I was interested in seeing what they were going to release. Now the details are out. They're not that ideal for me. They have a basically a four-bay unit and a two-bay unit. They go inside the Mac Pro, which I'm not sure is, is a critical thing for me. What I don't like about the Pegasus products is they're still using traditional spinning disks. And I'm not crazy about that. I do like that the, the R4i uh, uses hardware RAID. The J2i is just a JBOD. And that's only two disks. And at most it can be is probably, you know, I guess you could put a 10 terabyte mechanism in it. But you'd have to rate it with zero or one. And, and, I, and it doesn't seem that attractive to me. What's a little more interesting to me is the Mac Sales, or otherwise known as OWC. OWC has something called the Acelsior 4M2. And as you can maybe guess by the name, it uses the NVE uh, SSD blades, takes four of them, and it puts it on a, a daughter card that can go into the Mac Pro. Now, its main selling point is it's fast. You can put um, four SSDs in there, and they're claiming, you know, in a RAID 0, 6,000 megabytes per second. And I believe it, because I actually bought an external unit that's, that's quite fast, though it's not 6,000 megabytes per second fast, but it's still pretty fast. And so the, the downside to a unit like this is a price, and B, capacity. So this maxes out right now at eight terabytes. That's two terabytes times four, and they actually have that be eight terabytes, you'd have to RAID zero it. If you did any other RAID combination, it would be less. So two grand for eight terabytes, you know, you compare that to the promise. Promise, you could do 32 
uh, terabytes and it's $2,300. So it's four times the capacity for roughly the same price. And the, the promise is going to be hardware RAID. The Excelsior is going to be software RAID. But again, depends what you need. I've got plenty of large capacity storage. I was looking for something mainly for fast single project or a couple of projects that I'm working on currently. And I just want to have a copy in fast storage. That's my thought. So the Excel series would probably be better, but I already went out uh, a month ago or so, and I purchased something called the NetStore. NetStore NA622TB3, which is essentially an aluminum chassis with a fan, and it's got four NVE RAM slots. So I bought four blades from OWC, and I put it in this box that was about 500 bucks, and I built myself a very fast eight terabyte RAID Zero uh, disk. And it's external, so it doesn't sit in my machine, but I can certainly move it around, which right now is more beneficial to me than just having it be inside the Mac Pro. So the speeds of this um, NetStore have been pretty impressive. I'm running a five gigabyte test on Blackmagic Disk Speed Test, and I'm getting about 2,100 megabytes per second on the writes and about 2,400 megabytes per second on the read, which is screaming. It's screaming fast. Compared that to my shared storage speed, which is only about 200 megabytes a second. But, you know, that's enough for the kind of editing that I'm doing. But again, with the idea that I'm going to speed up the drawing of thumbnails and cache files and waveforms, I'm thinking that this NetStore box is probably a good route to go for me right now. So in addition to all the new hardware that's sitting in my edit suite now, I am simply swimming in data, drowning in data, if you will. I've got jobs that have completed. We did two big jobs right at the start of the new year. I have editing that is continuing from events that we uh, did in 2019. I've got multiple people working on different projects and uh, trying to get the deliverables out to the client as quick as possible. So that's a little overwhelming for me when I've got a lot of data sitting around. And, and I've talked about it in other podcast episodes about moving the data from, you know, field capture to raid storage for the edit to offline on uh, LTO tape. So I have a bunch of files that are now queued waiting to be backed up onto LTO tape. And until that happens, and, and until I get those LTOs into my um, safety deposit box, I really get a little crazy just thinking about the data that's potentially at risk. It doesn't necessarily keep me up at night, but when I see it, when I sit and see it, I'm like, got to get that into the vault. But I am thinking seriously this year about using uh, online storage maybe what they call cold storage for archiving jobs that have been completed 
that I don't necessarily want to put out the LTO tape. I know that it's mainly a time issue right now. It's mainly the time it takes to get it out to the um, to the storage facility like Backblaze or Amazon S3. And I'm not sure what method I'm going to use to do that. I'm going to do some experimenting um, probably right before or right after NAB about which method I want to use, try it out, see if it really works. And what I'm thinking is, being that I do have shared storage, I might just throw a Mac Mini on a 10 gigabit connection uh, and just let that handle the uploading of the files. And that way it's not in my peripheral view. I don't have to worry about uh, a machine starting or restarting or quitting or something you know, in the middle of production that might affect that. So I do have data here. I, I have to manage that. But I also have jobs coming up that I'm also planning for. And these, these two jobs in particular are heavy on live streaming. So I'm reconfiguring uh, equipment and cases and cameras and laptops and trying to get things tested uh, cables. I'm, I'm, there's been some delays. My my fiber optic cable kit is only been delivered in pieces. It's actually waiting for quarter twenty screw mounts to be put into the chassis of the fiber converter before they can send it out. So the whole entire holdup, which has now been almost twelve weeks, is due to this part that I guess. I don't know why it's not available, but it's not, and I can't really do anything without the mounting screws being put into it. So here I go, waiting for that. That's caused me to have to reshuffle some of my plans for the live streaming that I'm going to be doing. So I have all of that happening at the same time. And then just to throw a little cherry on the top of the cake, I was talking with my uh, ISP, which is Verizon. In my office, I'm pretty much all VOIP or IP-based communications. So I don't have a regular phone line. I've got uh, fiber, they call it Fios. So I have a Fios connection to my office. I was one of the first to get it in the area. At the time, I had a, a five IP static block and I had their 75 by 75 service, which at the time was pretty fast. Now, of course, speeds have uh, gone up. Now, I like fiber. This system's been very reliable. I've had not one outage in about the 12 years I've been using it. Not one. Even when the power goes out, I've got battery backups on the fiber. And I'm able to still surf the net on my laptop until the you know battery runs out. So the fiber has been great from reliability. Performance has been very good, though, as you know, my Wi-Fi's have changed from the Apple to other brands. You know, the Wi-Fi routers can't really pass all that traffic. I recently upgraded my uh, firewall. I went with a uh, Ubiquity uh, edge router. That gives me a very high backplane for speed. 
and I decided to upgrade my uh, throughput from Verizon. I upped my pipe from 75 by 75 to 500 by 500. And in order to do that, of course, they had to come out and switch out some equipment on the outside of my um, unit. And that turned into a major cluster because I've got different services in different boxes on the outside of, I work from home, so on the outside of my house, there's home phone service and home cable TV, and then there's the business internet which is uh, the Fios, and they mixed up something in the services, and they were trying to remove something that had two services in it, and I didn't really understand the whole thing, but the bottom line was they came out for a two-hour job, and eight hours later, um, they still were working on it, and I had no internet connection, which means I had no phone, no communications, no email, so that wasn't great. But now the speed is up, so I'm, I'm 500 by 500, which again, I think will allow me to uh, try that cold storage Backblaze or Amazon S3, I'm not sure which, and at least let me have a better, a better shot at uh, getting the files up in a timely manner. So those are all things going on in my you know universe this week. I'm back on the road next week. Then I'm home for a few weeks and then back on the road for about a month. And you'll hear about some of that stuff in an upcoming episode. So thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. That was a lot of fun. It would be even better if you could add something to the conversation. Drop me an email at thisweekinproduction at gmail.com. Or even better, call our new TWIP voice mailbox and leave us a message. 601 601- 564-TWIP. That's 601-564-8947. Also, a reminder that This Week in Production is available on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play. So please subscribe to get every episode. Lastly, if you like what you hear, would you mind giving me a rating or a review? I'd appreciate that. Okay, that's a wrap on This Week in Production. Thanks for listening.